the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There were many issues in the worship service in the church of Corinth. Things were out of control. And in our text, Paul is concerned that there are those who are participating in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. In some ways, none of us are worthy. From one viewpoint, there's not a single person in here who's worthy to take communion. However, we are worthy because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. He makes us worthy. Good evening, I'm Kyle Welch, and welcome to Lift Up Jesus with Pastor Dudley. We are here every night at this time on KKLA to share the good news of Jesus Christ and to lift up His name to the entire city of Los Angeles. No matter if you are listening tonight from your car or at home or in your place of work, we believe that tonight's sermon from Pastor Dudley will be a blessing to all our listeners. So if you can, get out your Bibles and let's join Pastor Dudley right now with tonight's message. I want you to uh, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and 11. We are preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. We come to these two chapters. And uh, if you look inside your bulletin, there's a sermon outline. I want to speak to you on this subject, worthy and unworthy. Whenever I tell someone I'm a pastor, they always ask me two questions, always two questions. Question number one is, what is the name of your church? And there's a little line there in your notes. I want you to go ahead and just go ahead. Just go ahead. Go ahead. Write down the name of our church. Write it down. Write down shepherd. Most people don't know how to spell shepherd. But I want you to do the best you can. You write down shepherd. Go ahead. Write it down. Write it down. Now, our website is shepherdchurch.com. Okay? Shepherdchurch.com. And uh, just in case you ever uh, need to know that. Second question they always ask me is this, what kind of church do you pastor? Now, I know exactly what they're asking. They want to know, is it a Presbyterian church? Is it a Methodist church? Is it a Catholic church? Is it a charismatic church? Is it an evangelical church? Is it a four-square church? Is it a Pentecostal church? Is it a Baptist church? Is it a Southern Baptist church? What, when they say what kind, they want to know what denomination it is. The answer, write this down, I always tell them, it is a Christian church, okay? In other words, we belong to Christ. This is not a Presbyterian church, it's not a Methodist church, it's not a charismatic church, four-square church, it is a Christian church. And what I mean by that, the last three letters, I-A-N, I-A-N, refer back to Christ. Just like on this wall it says Californians, you're all Californians, the last three letters, I-A-N, point back to you're from California. If you're from California, you're a Californian. 
And if you belong to Christ, you are a Christian. And so this is a Christian church. You need to know that. Someone says, what, what church do you go to? I go to a Christian church. It means uh, that we have, you know, uh, most churches have a state headquarters or a regional headquarters or a national headquarters or a world headquarters. And there's a board and what decisions they make on those boards filter down to all the churches that belong to that particular denomination. What I'm telling you is this, we're an independent Christian church that we don't have a state headquarter. We don't have a, there's no regional headquarters. There's no national board or world board telling us we are governed uh, simply. I, I tell you what we do have. We do have a heavenly headquarter. We have heavenly headquarter. And uh, uh, we, we get our directives from the Word of God. It's a church that's based on the Word of God. And the thing that sets this church apart, I believe, from, from many churches, not all, but from many churches, is that this church shepherd church we pattern ourselves after the church in the new testament we we study the church in the new testament and we pattern ourselves after that church is ever are you are you with me on this okay now uh, we have this little slogan and you don't need to memorize it but it says this we speak where the bible speaks and we're silent where the bible is silent and in all things love so it's a little slogan it's not, it's not in the Bible. We just kind of made it up. That's pretty good, isn't it? One of the most important and unique elements of a Christian church as found in the New Testament and found in our church is the centrality and the importance of communion and the weekly observance of communion. We know that communion was central to the church in the New Testament because from a couple different passages, here's one, I'm going to put them on the screen. The first one in your notes, I want you to write this down. In the book of Acts, right when the church begins, the first day of the church, the very first day, there were 3,000 people who stepped forward, gave their life to Christ, and were baptized. Those 3,000 people, it's in the text, in Acts 2 verse 42, that they devoted themselves to four things. Number one was to the apostles' teaching. Number two was to fellowship. Number three, I want you to write that down, was the Bible calls it the breaking of bread or communion. And number four was to praying. And because we are a Christian church that patterns ourselves after the church that's found in the Bible, guess what? We devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to communion, and to praying. Here's the second verse in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. It says... Uh, that on the first day of the week that we came together uh, for the purpose of taking communion or breaking bread, we know that the first church that once Jesus Christ arose from the dead, uh, the resurrection that took place on Sunday, that became the main day each week where the church gathered. And when they gathered, we know this for a fact, that they always participated whenever they met, they participated in what's called communion or the Lord's Supper. And so communion is that time each week. And the reason I say each week, and I want you to get this, it's what separates this church from a lot of churches. Some churches only do communion once a month. Some churches only do communion once a quarter. Some churches only have communion twice a year. Some churches take it once a year. Some churches don't even take communion. But here at Shepherd, when you come to this church, because we're a New Testament church, Christian church, pattern of the Bible, we take communion every single week, every time we get together. 
And communion is that time each week in every service where we gather together to focus on what Jesus Christ did for us on that cross. Do you have that? You got that. You think you could explain that to somebody? Okay. When you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and 11, it shifts to a section of scriptures that is five chapters long. It's almost a third of the book. And in these five chapters, Paul deals with things that are happening in their worship service. And there's one word that describes the worship services in the church at Corinth. I want you to write this word down. It's the word chaotic. There were many issues in the worship service in the church of Corinth. Things were out of control. We don't have time to look at all of them because I'm only looking at one of these things today. One of those issues that he deals with in these five chapters is communion. And in our text, Paul is concerned that there are those who are participating in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And the reason, let me say this to you, in some ways, none of us are worthy From one viewpoint, there's not a single person in here who's worthy to take communion. However, we are worthy because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. He makes us worthy. But Paul's concern, his concern, and you need to, the reason we're doing all this is we're going to serve communion here in a little bit, so I hope you're paying attention. His concern is that there were people who were taking the communion in an unworthy manner. I want you to look in the Bible at chapter 11. I want you to look at verse 27. It says, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That if you take communion in an unworthy manner, that you're actually drinking judgment upon yourself. So, what I want to do is I want to read through this text. I love this sermon. You know why? Because it preaches itself. You don't even need a preacher. You just kind of read it and it just preaches. So, I hope you have your Bibles. I want you to look at verse 17. We're going to read two verses here as we begin. Paul says... In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your church services do more harm than good. Well, that's not a very nice thing to say. He says in verse 18, in the first place, okay, this is his first pet peeve, the thing that's bothering him. I hear that when you come together as a church, that there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. I want you to write this down. Whenever you take communion, first of all, there should be unity in the church. Communion is an individual thing in that, in just a few moments, you, yourself, are going to hold a little piece of bread and a cup of juice, you, yourself, individually, you're going to participate today. But not only are you participating individually, 
we are also participating corporately because as a church, we're all going to take communion together. So it is an individual thing, but it's also a corporate thing. And over and over in the Bible, we read that the church is supposed to be united. United in its purpose. United in its doctrine. United in its care for one another. The Bible says when one person hurts, that we should all hurt. When one person rejoices, we should all rejoice. If you think about it, we're also united because we've all benefited from what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Jesus forgave us of all of our sins. Jesus washed all of our sins away. Did Jesus provide salvation just for you? Or did he provide salvation for everyone? Which is it? For everyone. And doesn't it make sense that if Jesus died for all of us so that we could all go to heaven where we will live for all of eternity together, isn't it kind of silly that we can't get along here now in the church? Isn't that just a little silly? And in reality, we're making mockery of communion because what you're doing is you're saying when you hold these emblems, you're going to say, Lord, thank you for loving me and thank you for forgiving me. And Lord, I so appreciate the fact that you have redeemed me and that you have saved me. God, thank you for forgiving me for all of my sins. But that old so-and-so over there, I can't stand that guy over there. What in the world is old sister Susie doing? Have you seen her and what she's been up to? I tell you, that guy over there, he makes me sick to my stomach. But Lord, thank you for forgiving me for all of my sins. The Bible talks about before you give an offering, before you put a dime in the offering plate, and you have something against a brother that you and your brother are to go work out that disagreement, and then you come and offer your gift. And in the same way, you should not be participating in communion. If you're fighting with someone here today, you need to make amends with that person because in just a few moments, we're going to participate together and we're going to think about what Christ did for us on that cross. I want you to write this word down, or words, the word potluck. That's the context of of what you're reading here. I'm going to explain this to you. First, I want to make sure... How many of you know what a potluck dinner is? It's one of the things that I don't like about a large church. Because we can't do potlucks. You can't do a potluck for 10,000 people. Okay? In smaller churches in the Midwest, sometimes they do them, some churches do them every week. Once a month, it was like, you know, the third Sunday of every month, we're going to have potluck. And what it is, everybody brings a dish of food. You bring your best dish. I bring my best dish. We put it on a big table, and we get in line, and then we go through the line, and you just fill your plate. It's called a potluck. And the church in Corinth, they didn't have big buildings like this, okay? You've got to have your mindset and understand. They met in houses, people's houses, and they had potlucks. They fed everybody. And then they, then they serve communion. Now with that in mind, I want you to read what the Bible says, starting with verse 20. Here's what was going on. Paul says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you're eating. Verse 21, for as you eat 
Each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry. Another gets drunk. Don't you, don't you people have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and you, now watch this, and humiliate those who have nothing? You're humiliating the poor who couldn't bring food to the potluck. They could come to the potluck, but they didn't have anything to fix because they were poor. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? And then he says, certainly not. And what was happening was this. They brought all the food. The couple poor people there who couldn't bring any food and all the people who brought food just jumped in the front of the line. And they ate ate, ate all the enchiladas. uh, And and they ran over to the dessert table where they had the chocolate and they ate all the cake. The poor person was just being polite. They didn't bring any food. They thought they'd wait in the line and wait everyone else. And by the time the poor person came to the line, the food was all gone. And the wine, someone drank all the wine. And Paul says, that's, you're, you're, you're humiliating the, the poor people that are there. And it's an embarrassment to the church because, now, now think about it. I'm going to give you some words. Just, just tell me if this is true or not. The church should be united. The church should be full of harmony. The church should be uh, filled with holiness. The church should be filled with people who are willing to sacrifice of themselves for someone else there should be humility there should be encouragement where we encourage one another and there's this thing called fellowship and love love should be abounding in the church but in the church at corinth there was disunity and drunkenness and selfishness and haughtiness and pride and immaturity and bickering and i will tell you this that one of the most important things in any church is the unity in the church because once the church is divided, I don't care what the, you can have the perfect doctrine. Hey, we have the Bible, it's the doctrine. But if you're divided, no one wants to hear what you have to say. If you can't get along with each other, what good is your doctrine? And no one's going to pay attention to what you say if you can't practice love with one another. Number two, write this down. Not only should there be unity before you take communion, there should be thanksgiving. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord, which I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, everyone say the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread, and before he did anything, in verse 24, the first thing that he did was he gave thanks and then he broke the bread and he shared it with those around the table he took the bread before he ever broke it before he ever served it the first thing that he did was he gave thanks communion is something that should warm your soul there should be some spirit of gratitude within you that overflows out of you as you think that what Christ did on that cross that he did it for you you should be grateful about that 
Don't turn to it, but over in the previous chapter, in chapter 10, verse 16, it's actually called a cup of thanksgiving is the name of it. It's called, they call it a cup, you know, we call it communion. uh, Chapter 10 calls it a cup of thanksgiving. And here's the deal. You hold the piece of bread in your hand. And you hold the cup of juice in your hand. Your hands should almost be shaking because of the sacredness of what you're doing. Your heart should be overflowing with thanksgiving because you realize as you take that bread and you drink that juice that he died for you. That you see that you, you should have been the one who should have been hanging on that cross. You're the one who should have had the nails driven through your hands and you should have had the nails driven through your feet and you should have been the one whose spear was thrust into your side and you realize that Jesus came along and said, hey, 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 you step aside. I will die for you. You know, let me go through this for you. I'm going to do this for you. You you can go free. I'm going to die for you. And when you hold your, the communion in your hands, you're thinking that Jesus Christ, he died for me. Number three, there should be a remembrance. What the Bible calls a remembrance. Verse 24, it says, And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And then he said, This is my, what? My body which is for you. And he's saying that when you take that little piece of bread, man, it's just a little tiny piece of cracker. You couldn't get it any thinner if you had a laser beam. But he says when you hold in your hand that little piece of bread and you take it, You should take it in remembrance, remembering that Jesus Christ gave up his body for you. If you were moved by Pastor Dudley's message tonight, we want you to know we have phone counselors standing by and ready to pray with you right now. Our number is simple to dial. It's 888-818-4777. Again, that number is 888-818-4777. We are ready for any prayer requests or needs you may have. Ephesians 6 reminds us of the many gifts we have been given by God, and prayer is one of the greatest assets we have as Christians to fend off any attack by the enemy. So please don't hesitate to call us if you are alone and need to pray with someone right now. The secret to overcoming any obstacle you are facing today is revealed through one of the most extraordinary victories ever recorded in the Bible, the Battle of Jericho. Joshua and the Israelites followed God's unusual plan to walk around the heavily fortified walls of Jericho for seven days. The Lord promised that at the end of those seven days, He would cause the walls of that famed city to fall, allowing His people to take possession of the Promised Land. 
In his book, Walls Fall Down, Pastor Dudley Rutherford shows us how the seven spiritual principles in this story are available for all of us today. You will learn how the foundation behind Joshua's victory is the key to overcoming your own hurdles and unsolvable issues. When you choose to do things God's way, walls crumble, victory replaces defeat, and a blessed future unfolds. Pastor Dudley's book, Walls Fall Down, is available for a gift of any size to the Lift Up Jesus ministry. This invaluable resource can be yours right now by calling our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. Discover how your personal Jericho battle is no match for the power of an awesome God. Call us right now and receive your copy of Walls Fall Down by Pastor Dudley Rutherford today. I'm Kyle Welch, inviting you to join us again tomorrow night at this same time here on KKLA as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley.